All right. Well, today we're starting a new Sunday school lesson, and uh, I don't think we're going to be, it's not going to be a long lesson today. We'll see. But um, it's sort of a, a class on the foundations, I think, of, of Christ Church, I would say. But, but really, I, I wanted to think of this class as a Reformation starter kit. That's what I'm kind of wanting this for. I, I, I went to a church this last week on vacation, and it really, it, and I'm not trying to rag on other churches. I don't like to do that at all. But it really was pitiable. It was very pitiable. Um, I felt that was my overwhelming feeling after having left there is I just felt, I felt sorry for all the people there um, because of how impotent everything was. It was just really, really bad. Um, it's in um, Arkansas, little country church in Arkansas, nice, sweet people, but they needed, they needed the Reformation to sweep through their church. They really, they really, really did. Um, <clears throat> And without going into all, all the details, I just thought about, you know, what, what would I do if, if I was given the authority and the power to, to lead that particular congregation, for example? And there wasn't many of them there, maybe a dozen people, mostly older women. Um, and there was teenage, some teenage girls that ran the, the worship service. Um, and it was, it was just not very masculine and... and not very relevant to society or anything really out here. It was all very internal, spiritualistic, dualistic, um, and just impotent, really just impotent. And I felt sorry for him. And I thought, what would I do? Like, what, where would I even start? Where should anyone start with bringing reformation to a, to a dead church? And I, I, um, that's what I wanted to do with this particular Sunday school series is, is create a, a series of lessons, six or seven, on what you would want to teach right out of the gate to try and bring reformation to a, to a body, a reformation starter kit, if you will, for fun. And perhaps one day our church will need to, and to pull this out again and remind ourselves of, of what we stand on, what the ground is that we stand on, the foundational truths that make us who we are and uh, so that's what this is. The areas are going to uh, cover the sovereignty of God. So that's right. That's the first one, the sovereignty of God. If you don't have an understanding and a deep appreciation and faith in the sovereignty of God in your heart and mind, all of your actions are going to uh, be negatively affected by that. You have to know the sovereignty of God to rightly worship him, to rightly live by him, to have enough faith to even get by. You need the sovereignty of God. Christ's lordship over all of life, that's going to be next week. Then God's law as supreme over all of life. And the inspiration and authority of scripture, the dominion mandate, and Christ's victory in history. I think those one, two, three, four, five, six things could bring potency back to a, to a dead church. Um, and uh, so that's what I want to, I'm just kind of lay out these basic fundamentals, these foundational lessons for the next six weeks or so. And uh, you might ask, why is it all, why is it teaching? Wouldn't there be some other things we would need to do first in reforming a church? Wouldn't we want to, you know, maybe change the musical instrumentation or change the service times or change the, you know, the Sunday school uh, schedule? 
some practical, pragmatic things, maybe run some campaigns or some marketing ads. Like, why is it that you would start here with, with Reformation? And it's because as a man thinks, so he is. As a church thinks, so it is. Your orthodoxy determines your orthopraxy. Or uh, more simply put, what you believe determines your behavior. Now, we are all inconsistent in some ways, thank God, right? Um, <laughs> we, even when we believed um, ignorant things, we still behaved in a way that was pleasing to the Lord. He, he receives us in our immaturity. But it is generally true, what you believe determines how you behave. And uh, to the degree that you're consistent, if you have bad beliefs, you can really have some bad behavior. That church, the fundamental problem is that they believed a multitude of falsehoods, and it, it created an environment and, and actions and behaviors which killed the relevancy and the potency of the church. It's because of what they believe. It's because of what they believe. Um, just as one minor example, the entire sermon was largely aimed at making sure everyone understood that the world was just about over. That the events in Israel were scheduled and that the armies from the north are about to come and that the world is pretty much done and so we better make sure our hearts are right inside here is right and we better make sure that we've uh, we got saved again that week basically and that rep that apocalyptic worldview which creates a, a, a worship environment where you're just you're just making sure you're getting saved every week like a cross-centered, uh, guilt-centered, get saved each week because to make sure that, because the world's about to come to an end. That apocalyptic worldview creates an environment where there's really not much motivation for action, for sowing, we're, we're, our whole sermon series is talking about sowing seeds to reap a harvest, generations in the future. You see how we, uh, underneath what we preach is, the, is, the view, is a view about history, that is not apocalyptic. That changes everything. If you have an apocalyptic view, it comes out in everything you do and will diminish your potency as a church and as a people. That's just one example. If, if you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, for example, over all of life, both the good and the bad, you can see how that's going to have ramifications for how you pray, how you sing, Right? What you appreciate about God and what you don't appreciate about God. The, to not believe in the sovereignty of God is by default to believe in the sovereignty of man. And that has very, very negative impacts on the culture that comes out of those beliefs in your church and in your community. Right? So the reason we start with doctrine is because that's where Reformation begins. It begins with the word of God um, getting our thinking straight. What Paul calls the renewal of the mind. When the Reformation took place in Israel under the reign of Josiah, what key event triggered the Reformation? They found the Bible. They discovered the Bible in some dusty um, ruins. And then they began to read the Bible and teach the laws and the truths of the Bible. And that worked its way out from the, the word to the doctrines, to the religion, to the culture of the entire community. So we start with word. We start with doctrine, which is just a combination of words. We start with word. We start with getting our mind thinking. 
That's how we can bring about reformation. The same is true for your family. If you can get your thinking straight first, your family can be reformed and become powerful and effective for the kingdom of heaven. Same thing goes with your business or if you're a mayor, your town, etc. All right, so first we begin with the sovereignty of God. And if you want the full, the full um, lesson on the sovereignty of God, you need uh, A.W. Pink's book, The Sovereignty of God. Has anyone read that? A.W. Pink, The Sovereignty of God. It's a classic it's not very difficult to read. Um, I know several of you have read it. I read it years back. Um, it's a great book, but that's the book to really take your time reading it and, and come to really and truly believe the sovereignty of God. It's one thing to hear me say it, and it's almost like it's a cliche. You really need to understand it and, and meditate upon it to such a degree that you really, really do believe it deep down as a presupposition. You know what I mean? There's plenty of people that know, yes, God is sovereign. They know that phrase, but their behavior in life is still flowing out of the belief that they're sovereign. It takes time for those doctrines to get down into your heart. And so I think uh, studying that particular book, meditating on it, really coming to understand the impact and, and the, the relevancy of God's sovereignty over all of life. So what does it mean that God is sovereign? In, in short, it means that he has the right to do as he pleases. Amen? He has the right to do whatever he pleases. No one can judge him. No one can stop him. No one can counsel him or add to him. He has the right to do as he pleases. He has the power to accomplish whatever he pleases. And he has the authority to govern all of his creation however he pleases. That's, he is the supreme one. He is the sovereign one. He answers to no one. He has ultimate authority and ultimate power. Right? He has ultimate rule or dominion. That's another, those are synonyms for it. Right? And his sovereignty is over all of space and over all of time, over all of the creation, both the heavenlies and the earthy realms. Amen? Now listen to Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, and I think we have it for the screen here. This is a classic text, and if I remember correctly, this is Nebuchadnezzar, after having learned some lessons. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven. That's the angels of heaven. So all of the inhabitants of earth, they might have a will, they might have plans and purposes, they might have dreams and agendas for their life, and the angels, they too might have purposes and plans that they have, but he, above all, is sovereign. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can question him, he answers to no one. No one can come knock on his door and come into his office and give him, a, give him grief over the decisions that he's made. He answers to no one, right? His wife can't um, question him, right, or ask him strongly to reconsider. He, <laughs> he is absolutely and utterly sovereign. 1 Timothy 6.15, He who is the blessed and only sovereign... The King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what it means to be sovereign. It means you are the king. He is the ultimate king over all things. Now, what are the, some of the things? Let's just talk about this. What are some of the things over which he is sovereign? Everything. Yes, that's everything. So, but let's say some specific things to make sure we really get this. 
He is sovereign over all matter, absolutely. All atoms and molecules and electrons, even the tiniest things to the biggest suns in the solar system. He is absolutely sovereign. Solar systems explode and suns supernova because he decreed it and planned it and providentially carried it out. What else? The, all the affairs of man. He governs all the affairs of man. Every single policy and procedure, every single election and the results of every election, he is sovereignly in control of all of that. He decreed it all before the foundations of the world, had a plan to carry it out, and then providentially carries that out by his spirit and his word without any exceptions. He is utterly king. What else? Time, absolutely. He can make the sun stand still as he did. Hell, he is absolutely sovereign over all aspects of hell and heaven and eternity. What about when you roll dice in a casino? Anybody want to tell us how that feels? Jordan, you know, like (laughs) when you roll dice in the casino, when you pull that lever and those little wheels spin, seemingly random events, he is absolutely sovereign over those things. The amount of money that you have and that you make and that you will ever have is absolutely sovereign, decreed before human history, planned and providentially carried out in time and space in your life. Duh, right? We all know this, right? Okay, good. I'm glad you all know this, but that is one of the reasons, that's one of the things that makes Christ Church, Christ Church. By God's grace, we know about the sovereignty of God. That, cha- that creates a different culture than if you believe in the alternative, the sovereignty of man, which is the default belief of Americans, of humans, really. Right. Good. Now, the difficulty here when we begin to discuss the sovereignty of God, and, and, uh, and there's another pastor in town that I'm friends with, you all know. I don't want to say his name because of the recording, but he recently taught on the sovereignty of God. And so he got to experience all the pushback, all the natural, well, what about this and what about that? And are you saying this and are you saying that? And it is a very offensive doctrine. You are accustomed to it. You've grown accustomed to it. But when someone first learns this, it can be very offensive to their sensibilities and to what they think is fair and just. What are some of the questions that immediately emerge? Is he sovereign over the salvation of man? Does he determine who is saved and who is not? Yes, and the Bible is explicitly clear about that, explicitly clear about that. So are you saying that not everyone has a chance? What about the people in Africa, right? You've heard these things before. I thought that we are supposed to choose. Don't we have the responsibility to choose? How can that be fair? These are the questions that we, in our reason, begin to deduce and struggle with. And, and what you have to be very careful for anyone in the room here, anyone listening on the recording, is that you don't begin, when God teaches something explicitly in his word, and I've read only two of thousands of verses that we could read about the absolute sovereignty of God over the, over the hairs of your head and over the sparrows of the field and over the clothing of every flower and over lightning and hailstorms and the casting of lots, over the waves of the sea, etc., you, you can read all of those things. You must believe them. You must say, thus saith the Lord, I believe this. 
then in his patience and in his grace, he might help you with some of those deductions, help you to harmonize the sovereignty of God with other truths of Scripture, or he may not. But you can't begin to rationalize away the clear, explicit teachings of the Scripture. And that is something we are all prone to do. I promise you, when you come across texts that, that don't jive with you in some way, the, the temptation is to rationalize them away with de- rationalistic deductions. And when you do that, you are being more Greek than biblical. You're being a rationalist, which is the secular Bible, right? <laughs> Rationalism is the secular Bible. Human reason is the secular Bible. To be reformed as a church, you have to get to the point where you receive things in Scripture that God says that don't seem to make sense to you. And you have to say no to your sense and yes to the Bible. If you can get that first thing, and for those of you who came in later, we're doing a Reformation starter kit. It's how we turn a dead, dying church into a vibrant, potent church. And it begins with this right here. Rejecting rationalism and your reason and what makes sense to you and your tradition and your experience and your feelings and receiving the clear text of Scripture primarily first on the sovereignty of God. That's the, I think that right there is the, is the rub. And uh, I think if, if that switch could be made, that faith could be made, then Reformation can begin in a church. But if they don't repent of rationalism and, be, and stand firmly on revelation of the Bible, they can't go anywhere from there. They're stuck. They'll be stuck in a, inst- a constant loop. There will eventually be compromise and apostasy of the generations until the church dies. You have to start right there. Revelation of Scripture. And the one that I think is just the, the easiest one to do it on is the sovereignty of God over salvation. That's the one to do it. Now, does this mean that man is not responsible? Does the Bible teach that man must believe? Yes, man must believe. If he does not believe, is he held accountable for that? Yes. Does the Bible say man is without excuse because of various factors? Romans chapter 1, yes. How does that make sense? How can God both be sovereign over salvation and man be responsible? How can that be? (laughs) I don't entirely know. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You see, that's the problem with rationalism. It's proud. What does the Apostle Paul say to people who begin to ask these questions? He says, who are you, O man? Can the pot say to the potter, why have you made me thus? See, Paul is pointing to the fact that God is the creator and therefore has the right and the ownership over all things to do as he pleases. And the creation cannot say to the creator, why have you done this? And if you still keep asking questions, the only response is, who are you? Who are you? Shut your mouth. Who are you? See, that's God's response to rationalism and the pride of rationalism. It's rebuke. It's not, he doesn't get down on your level and start, you know, giving you 2,000 reasons, uh, 2,000 evidences why God can be sovereign and God can both, and you can be responsible. He says, first, you believe it because I said it. He will help you harmonize that later in life. But not if you don't believe it. We believe in order to understand, as Augustine said, not the other way around. And unless you get that right, believe in order to understand, not believe because we understand, then you cannot have reformation in your heart, in your family, in your church, or in your nation. Faith is first. Would someone have a question? 
Yes, faith is fine. It's fine to seek understanding with faith, but what I'm saying is that without faith, there's blinders. You have blinders. All right. Good. Now, some associated doctrines with the sovereignty of God. One, and we deduce that God is the sovereign, not only because of verses all over the Bible, but we deduce them because of other doctrines the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us the independence of God. That's another bold print. If you want to know these theological terms, it's called the independency of God. And that means that he is self-contained, self-sufficient, has no needs, and is the ground of his own being. Understand? All of us are dependent, completely and utterly dependent creatures. He is absolutely, utterly independent. He has his own will, and it's not impacted or affected or pressured by anyone. There's no such thing as peer pressure with God. He needs no help, no power, no advice, no counsel from anything else. And none of us are like that. We are all totally different than him in that sense. We are dependent. There's a lot of ways in which we are created like God. That's not one of them. We are dependent of him. He is totally and utterly independent. He doesn't need to be completed. Like uh, Dr. Evil said to many me, you complete me. God, (laughs) God does not need to be completed. He didn't create us because as one person recently said on social media or I don't know, Christian television somewhere. God created us because he needed someone to love. No. He wasn't lonely. He didn't, wasn't getting a pet, right? <laughs> he does no needs whatsoever. No needs whatsoever. He is totally and utterly independent. No one can judge him. And anyone who tries, tries in vain. No one can direct him. There is no law above him or outside of him that he has to be held accountable to. Like the law of God is not over God, it comes from the very character of God. Even the laws of logic, for example. Does anyone know the laws of thought or the laws of logic? You, you want to go for it, Jordan? What, what, what laws? Uh, hey, let's just do, uh, the, do what? Like the law of yeah, that's one. Something cannot be true in the same way uh, and be false in the same way at the same time. Right. And if something's true, it is true. It can't also be true and false at the same time. It's either true or it's false. There's a lots of laws of non-contradictions, laws of identity, the laws of thought. These laws aren't things that God has to adhere to. They flow from the very mind of God. So that you could say God is logic. Logic comes from God. God is love. It's not a law over God that he's like, oh, let me make sure I'm loving today. His character is the very definition of love. His mind is the very definition of logic. Make sense? All right, so when we think true things, we're thinking God's thoughts after him, right? We're thinking like God. There's nothing outside of him or above him. He is independent. Amen? And not only that, he's infinite in his being. So he has infinite power, infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom, infinite holiness. And when you put those two things together... Infinite in power, infinite in wisdom, infinite in holiness, and absolute independency. When you put those two things together, you can deduce he's the king. (laughs) He is the champion. He is the sovereign one. So we get the sovereignty of God not only from clear texts of Scripture, but also we can deduce the sovereignty of God when we look at other doctrines of Scripture. When you put all the doctrines of Scripture about God together, the one thing that is going to be screaming at you is, wow, this all must mean 
he's sovereign. You see what I mean? Okay, good. But his sovereignty is not only uh, deduced by us, his sovereignty is shown, it's manifested in various things. One, it's manifested in the doctrine of divine decrees. So that's something you, you need to learn, that concept, that before time he decreed all things that must come to pass. He decreed all things. He causes all things. He is the initial cause of all things. Simultaneously, he does not sin, nor is he the author of sin. And simultaneously, man is utterly responsible. But that doesn't make sense. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. The secret things belong to the Lord. We don't walk by reason. We walk by faith in the word of God. Amen? His decrees establish the basis of all things. He plans it. He governs all things. And it's also very important to understand that there is one plan. He, he has his decrees. There's one plan. God does not have plan B. He is not a plan B sort of person. He, is, he has one plan, and every single thing that happens in this world, in space and in time, is a part of that plan and is connected to that plan in some way. So that every single thing that happens, and we spoke about this the other Wednesday night, every single thing that happens is connected with all the other things that are happening and have happened and will happen in an infinite string of connections, Right? All of which were planned and decreed by God from the very beginning. And uh, I find that to be incredibly, that's good news. What it means is that because ultimately he loves me and has given his son for me, that even the bad things that, go through, that I go through are connected with future blessings. Do you understand what I mean? And, and he had already decreed that and, and designed it and is planning out every single thing. So it, it really does, sovereignty, the sovereignty of God really is a blessing for your personal devotion. Um, but it also, and what we're emphasizing in this class, is that it creates a culture that's powerful and, and effective in this world. And to deny it or to be ignorant of it creates the opposite, an impotent culture and eventually a, a, a dying culture. Um, the works of God also show his sovereignty. He show, his sovereignty is shown in his creation. Just think about the way he created. He just willed it. And he said, and his, there was a decree, a plan about light and all the days and all the various things. And he said, let there be light. And he just says it. That's, I mean, that's powerful. That's sovereign. Wouldn't it be something if we could uh, speak our destiny. There's apparently a lot of people that think that that is how they can operate. Um, I mean, ima imagine, I mean, and this, this little church that I use as an example, they did not believe that they were sovereign to that extent. You understand what I mean? They didn't believe in the sovereignty of God consistently, but, you know, they still prayed for people to be saved. They still prayed for God to give them their daily bread. They still believed in the sovereignty of God functionally in some ways, just inconsistently. Um, and and that, that messes things up. But there are people out there that believe in the sovereignty of Christian people. They believe in the sovereignty of man. And they do so fairly consistently. They believe that because we are sovereign, we can de offer decrees and that our decrees with the words we speak uh, create the future, create our own destinies. 
And they call it uh, the power of positive thinking or speaking faith-filled words. And you can hear the negative side of it when they'll say things to you. Don't speak that over you, right? Now, it is true. I will say it is true that when you speak according to the word of God, that it is powerful. When you pray according to the word of God, when you speak over your children according to the word of God, when you say to them, no, that's false. God does love you. you know, God has promised these things for you. That that is powerful in your child's life and in the future in, in, many, in, in many mysterious ways. If you speak lies over people, right, or even over yourself, that does have a negative impact. I'm not saying those people don't have some point, but they are taking it so far as they believe they can create destiny. But that doesn't therefore mean it doesn't matter what you say to yourself and to other people. You understand? It does matter what you say to yourself, right? If, if you don't believe the promises of Scripture and you speak, I'm going to just use their terminology, you speak that negativity over you, that does have a negative impact. Do you all understand what I'm saying? This is difficult. But when you, if you, when your child is, is, struggling with anxiety because they're making bad grades, right? If you speak encouraging, faith-filled words, words that believe in the promises of God to them, does that make a difference? Absolutely. It's called encouragement. It's called comfort. It's called casting a vision, right? It's called instruction, right? If, if you speak negativity, faithless words over them, um, about what's going to happen to them in their life and if they keep with this and that. And, and, and you're just like a Debbie Downer, a negative Nancy, a, a, a mully grub, then that's going to impact your kids for, for, the, for the worst. And the same thing with yourself. You're not creating your own destiny. It's just you're, you're showing what's going on in your heart. You're showing that you don't believe the promises of God. You understand what I mean? All right. So we aren't sovereign and infinite in our power and being. We don't create the future, but we can respond to what God said to us, and that does, that does make some difference. Um, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 shows us that he not only show, demonstrates his sovereignty in creation, but also in his providence over all of life, even to this day. He didn't create the world, wind it up, and now he's off in space waiting for it all to come to fruition. He is providentially hands-on interacting with every aspect of the creation at all times. He is with us. He is the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ, the firstborn of all creation, meaning he is the primogenitor, or the heir of all things, not that he was birthed. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So who created everything? Jesus. For what purpose? For him. Right. 17. And he is before all things. That is the alpha. He is the alpha and the omega, declaring the end from the very beginning. And in him, and here's the key phrase, in him all things currently hold together. So he is providentially preserving all things, even currently right now, by, the, by his sovereign will through his word. Amen? 
All right, good. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. He determines all of these things sovereignly by his very own will. Let me just show this verse to you real quick. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Right. Now, you have a will, but it's not a sovereign will, and you don't have the sovereign power to manifest your will. Right? You are a dependent creature, and the nations have a will. They conspire, they, um, they get together Davos and, and come up with their plan for, for human history and how they're going to redistribute power and, and save mankind from imminent apocalyptic doom and climate change, or whatever their religion is they're following these days. They have a, they have a, a will, but it is of nothing to God. It's not, he laughs at it. He laughs at it. Um, Psalm 33, 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it came to be. Just like that. That is the manifestation of his sovereignty. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. You see that there? He frustrates the plans of the people. Peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. That is good news right there. That is very positive eschatology. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And of course, we know that the sovereignty of God is manifested in Jesus' life when he came to earth. I'll just read you this last pa passage, then we'll make some final applications. Matthew 8, 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. What a manifestation of sovereignty, of peace, of calm, of rest in the storms, in the chaos, in the abyss. A very important type throughout all of Scripture. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? What did they lack faith in? What was the, the thing that was making them impotent? They lacked faith in the sovereignty of God manifesting Christ, in Christ. But imagine if they did have genuine, strong faith in the sovereignty of God. How would that have affected their behavior, their emotions, their psychological state? They would have been asleep at the bottom of the boat with Christ. They would have deduced, well, if he's not concerned, we're not concerned. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. I love how it just says it in one sentence. No dramatic pause, no uh, drum roll. He just wakes up, gets to sleep from his eyes. Be calm, and it's calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of a man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? You see, the winds and the sea are types throughout all of Scripture uh, representing the abyss, the chaos, the place of evil where Leviathan dwells, all the forces of darkness. That's the sea. That's the raging of the waves, the billows of the waves. And, and so typologically, literally, he does this in history, but this is also a symbol, a sign of the sovereignty of God over all the affairs of creation and anything that might toss us or scare us or concern us. Amen? Amen. So, um, everything that is and ever will be is because of the sovereign decree of God, including the salvation and the damnation of men, including the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, 
And that because of his sovereignty, his law should be the standard of ethics over all of life and our binding rule uh, of conduct. Amen? Any authority or sovereignty or any rule or kingdom that we have is temporary and is derivative of him. Right? That he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the old, ultimately the sovereign one. Amen. Any thoughts, any questions, any last comments? I'm sorry? That's, a, that's good. So if you, if you want to get, uh, get, you want to experience the reformation of your church, that's where you start right there. All right. So for whenever y'all are pastors, or some of you might be, we'll see. All right. All right. Y'all have a great Lord's Day.